Welcome to the Rhythm of Us podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. This year, we're releasing a book we've been pouring our hearts and souls into for quite some time. It's called The Rhythm of Us. It releases November 9th and is available now wherever you get your books. Throughout this season, we'll be exploring the five rhythms from our book, as well as sitting with and learning from wise leaders, mentors, and friends in our life about the intentional rhythms that can lead us closer to God and closer to each other. Well, it's December, the book has launched, Yay! and you guys bought out <laughs> Amazon. Wow. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you so much. What a wild ride. We are seriously right. so grateful for your continuous love and support. The great news is the book is actually back in stock at Yay! Amazon, and <laughs> you can get it before Christmas. So for everyone who was waiting for it to come back in stock, it's there, it's, it's available. It. You can get your copy right now. Yep, we hope you will grab a copy, grab your spouse, grab some friends, and join us in January for a series that we'll do here mm-hmm. on the podcast, yeah. unpacking each chapter of the book. It will be a great way for you to dive into the five rhythms if you're looking to go deeper. So we hope you'll join us for that. Well, we have just a few more episodes this season before the end of the year, and we're so excited to share these conversations with you. Now, this week, we're talking with best-selling author, pastor, and professor, Mr. Gary Thomas. Gary's written over 20 books, including some of our favorites, Sacred Marriage, Sacred Parenting, and his latest project that we are chatting about today called Married Sex. All right. Yes, we did say sex. Jenny said (laughs) sex. That's it. That's awesome. (laughs) This is actually our very first episode uh, talking about I'm so sorry it took us this long to get to the topic of sex. So let's just, everyone, put your big girl pants on. Or take your pants let's, off. No. Okay. We're going to be mature. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to enjoy this helpful conversation. Oh, so much fun. <laughs> it was so fun. No, it was really great. What right? I liked is when, you know, Gary started talking about men and stuff. You're like, hey, what about me? Yeah. That I mean, was, that was I think, fun too. Yeah. I think it's a misconception that only men enjoy sex. And yeah. Yeah. Women enjoy sex you enjoy as well. Sex, babe? Okay. Again, focus. We're going to stay mature. We're going to stay on track. Gary had some really helpful things to say. Ultimately, I think one of my biggest takeaways was that the healthiest couples are able to openly share about what a healthy sex life looks for them, and they are able to understand what that means for their spouse as well. They can talk about it honestly and openly together, and there's no shame around it. That was a big takeaway for me. Yeah, I mean, I think for everyone listening, everyone's story is so different, and everyone brings into a marriage the good and the bad of their history when it comes to their sexual history. And so, you know, the idea at the end of the day is, yes, having great communications and ultimately letting God do any healing that he needs to do so that you can have a beautiful, healthy, amazing, married sex life. All right, well, here we go. An episode finally on sex. Here is Gary Thomas. All right, well, Gary, welcome back to the show. We're so glad that you're here. Thank you, guys. It's always fun to talk with you. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. 100%. So, okay. For those listening, uh, you got to go back and listen to the first episode. It was so good. It really just made a massive impact on Jenny and I. And for those who maybe don't know, you've written close to 20 books. You're the author of The Sacred Marriage that has helped so many countless people. And so you've just got this deep passion for marriage. And we're here today to talk about sex, which is so important (laughs) in marriage. 
I'm, I was giddy. I circled this one on the calendar. No, no it's wait. Chris is the one saying that, Jenny, right? That, that, this is Chris's line. Here we go. Sex, sex, sex. So, so uh, let's dive in and talk about this brand new project and your focus on sex with this brand new book called Married Sex. Oh, thanks. It, it came about really by request. You know, I'm on various email lists or text message chains or whatnot, and there's some marriage ministry leaders they just contacted me saying, Gary, we need a new book for evangelicals on sex. I felt like some of the older ones were getting a bit dated, just had some language that was really ticking off the wives. They thought, why are you oh, doing this? Yeah. But they thought it had some good information. And so they said, we, we think you could be the one to do that. I didn't want to do it alone, though. I'm, and I'm just thrilled to have written it with Deborah Faleda. She's a licensed counselor. The whole point was she's in her 30s. I'm clinging to my 50s as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she and John, great marriage, been married 15 years, Lisa and I, 37. She's a licensed counselor. I'm a writer, pastor. We felt like you have the male, female, the different generations, different stages of marriage, different occupations. We could really just create this book where this is really important for us, where wives felt heard and understood and husbands could get them, but also husbands felt heard and understood and wives could understand them because so often it seems like books pit one against the other. And we really didn't want to do that. I, I agree. It's so needed. Um, one of the things I love that you guys say is that a healthy sex life, just like a healthy marriage, is not something that just happens to us. It's not going to just drop in our laps. It really requires intention. It requires right. our participation. So right. what are some of the things that you start with when you encourage couples to look at their sex life and move towards a healthy perspective on it? Well, the first thing we go through is really the theological background in the sense of, do you think God is behind this? Do you think this is a gift of God? Do you think this is good? The Song of Songs is so practical. It, it shocks me that the second verse of the Song of Songs talks about how sex was made for the woman's pleasure. She says to her husband, your love is more delightful than wine. That word love in Hebrew is dod, and it's not referring to romantic love. This is not Hallmark love. This is <laughs> the kind of love you don't put on television, right? And so she's saying, and, and, and back then, just think about Women today think, well, I've got a lot of pleasures. I might not even like wine. But you read that 3,000 years ago, and she's saying that the, the top wine that women would think of 3,000 years ago, it isn't as worthy to me as making love to my husband. And so it, it challenges the contemporary message that sex is for the husband. The wife just needs mm -hmm. to put up with it. A biblical model of sexuality, not only does God view it as good, and he calls us to give ourselves to it in an uninhibited fashion. Song of Songs 5.1 says, be intoxicated with your passion for each other. He stresses that it's for the wife and for the husband. And so sometimes we find from church upbringings, people need to get over that theological message. That can be a big one if they think that there's something wrong in God's views with it. The second thing, Deborah does this chapters on sex expectations, where people just come into marriage thinking that sex is supposed to be easy because they like each other. Or that because they were faithful before marriage, they're not supposed to have hangups. And that's often not true. That we're supposed to always desire each other sexually because you see that in the movies when people really like each other. They're always right there, ready to go at it. And then I've often found, quite frankly, because we have a generation of men where porn exposure is virtually universal. There's differences in how much has been consumed. Just completely false expectations. So... We want to deal with the theological stuff. We want to deal with the expectations 
is sex supposed to always be easy? Are we always supposed to desire each other? And, and then just go on to things that we talk about physically that we can do to make sex more pleasurable, build up the relationship within marriage. And that that's a whole different conversation, but I've been talking so long, I'll throw it back to you to see where you want to <laughs> that's take. That's great. I think we can sit and just, just listen. There's so much wisdom there. You know, I love this expectations thing. I'm, I'm going to put that on a board. Write <laughs> <laughs> write that down. But I, I know you guys did a lot of time and research and effort and talking to different couples and leaning in. And, and I want to just kind of go back a second to a piece you just talked about in the fact that, because there really is this kind of misnomer and understanding that, okay, well, guys want sex and the women don't. And so were there any surprising findings for you as you guys unpack that? For years, we were pastors in a local church. And so I did a lot of counseling and spending time with couples and found that it, it wasn't always the case where it was like, oh, well, 100% of the time it's the guy and she she doesn't want, sometimes I'd meet guys who are like, yeah, I, I just, she wants to have sex all the time and I don't. I'm just like, I, I couldn't understand. <laughs> I couldn't understand, but I know that that's a real thing. Yeah. So yeah. Could, could you unpack some of the findings there and, and specifically in that area? Yeah, I've seen various studies. Um, and so it, it's hard to say, but it sounds to me like about 20% of marriages, you have a wife with a higher libido. I've seen studies higher than that and lower than that. I'm just kind of getting on. So it's a significant amount, Chris, that we need to, as a church, acknowledge. In fact, in my next book, I'm writing. Usually when a book is coming out, I'm finishing up another book. One of the stories is on different libidos and they're very much Emily. It's she's the one that's driving it. She, she has what could possibly be um, a medical condition. I explained in there where she's up for sex a couple times a day and her husband was just overwhelmed. And, and, and she thought that on the honeymoon, it would be sex a couple times a day, every day. And he's thinking, Hey, <laughs> I paid for tickets to Disneyland. They're not cheap. You know, I, I, I want to get out of the hotel every now and then. She was like, you know, how many husbands would wish they had a wife like me? And he knew that. So it does happen, Chris. But some of the things I want to encourage people with, and this kind of goes back to sex expectations a little bit. Different libidos is often presented as a problem in marriages. But why is sex different than wanting to eat out. Usually with couples, there's some couples where one or the other wants to eat out more often than the other. One wants to go to more parties than the other. One wants to get outside and do stuff on the weekends while one wants to stay inside and watch TV or something. For some reason, we think that there's something wrong in a marriage if we don't desire sex the same amount of time at the same time. Nothing else in marriage matches up like that. So I'm saying that's not a problem. It's how do we manage it? How do we use it so that there's understanding and getting into that? Because it's like, I, I don't think we should call it problematic if it's true for 90% of marriages. I, I, I just don't want yeah. people to feel we're not compatible because he wants sex more often than I do. Or she says, he doesn't want sex as much as I do. Something's wrong. And I'm like, no, you have a marriage. You're a normal married couple. Most couples will have to deal with this. And one thing that Deborah and I are adamant about on this Every couple at time will have sexual issues. Couples listening right now may not, but as you get older, babies get in, which you, you know about that, um, and, and, and kids and whatnot, there will be seasons in your life when all of a sudden, oh, we didn't have to work on this before. We've got to work on it now. And just knowing that it's to help couples not to freak out. It doesn't mean you're married to the wrong person. It just means, okay, this is part of marriage. This is an important part of marriage. We're going to have to work on it. We're going to have to try to figure it out 
In fact, I, I love an image that Julie Slattery uses. I'm stealing this from her, although she's a good friend. I have her permission. But she said that married sex is more like a Lego set than a Tonka truck. Guys will get this. Tonka trucks, you take them out of the box, they're good to go. You're moving dirt, you're running around things and whatnot. But a Lego set, the fun is in putting it together. But here's the key. After you put it together, you tear it apart and rebuild it again. Because, I mean, who wants to play with a Lego boat more than five minutes? I mean, it would be pretty boring. <laughs> and so I, I think if we look at marital sex like that, you've got to build a sex life when the sexual chemistry is high and you're just becoming familiar with each other. Part of that means becoming familiar with each other, comfortable with each other, getting to know what pleases each other. You've got to have to rebuild your sex life when you start having babies and toddlers. And then you have to rebuild your sex life when you have older kids or teenagers who share a wall with you and stay up later than you do. And you're going to have to rebuild your sex life when age-related or disease-related issues come up. Throughout your life, you're going to have to keep rebuilding it. So that's why we think to know why it's important, why it's worth the investment, and not to feel like there's something wrong with your marriage when you're having to take apart what used to be easy and rebuild it. That's just a normal part of marriage. But you know this, Chris, it's one of the best parts of marriage. So I, I don't want to sound like work because when it flows, you know, there's really few other marital experiences like it. There just aren't. I agree. I don't know why you said Chris, because I agree. <laughs> it is one of the best parts of marriage. But Gary, one of the things I wanted to ask um, that we found in our research for the marriage book that we just launched was that the healthiest couples in the sex arena were able to talk about it yes. openly and yes. honestly. They yes. just had the freedom to really be honest about what looks like a healthy sex life for me and what look, what it looks like for you. And we each understand what each other's expectations are. Talk about that. Like, how can we encourage people listening to have those those conversations? And how do you even begin if it's awkward or if they don't even know where to start? Yeah. Thanks, Jenny. I, I, it's so key. Isn't it funny how it's so much easier to have sex than talk about sex? <laughs> I, it, I, I think for most every married couple, it just is. There's something about it to bring it up. It's just that. And so, what I say to couples first, and I really hit this with premarital couples, you can't have too much humility in this area. I say to the guy, I know you want to be thought of as a great lover. You can't possibly know the woman you're about to marry to because she's unlike any other woman. I said, I hope you've never pleased another woman. But even if you pleased 100 women, that's distracting information because you're soon-to-be wife has a completely different brain, a completely different body. You can't guess and you've got to figure it out. And so just recognize that we want to be great lovers, but we have to be great learners and great listeners before we become great lovers, because we just don't know. We don't know what they're experiencing. We don't know what their bodies is like. That's true for, for husbands and wives. And it's partly why we really look at the book Married Sex as a book of questions as much as a book of answers. We're trying to get couples to talk about this. That's what I love about marriage and sex in marriage is that we have a whole lifetime to experience so many different dimensions of sex. But how much can be gained if husbands say, why do you like this so much? And he might not ever realize, I like taking charge or I, I like what it says to me about my background of being in control or I, I love seeing your face. I, I, I just love being able to look eye to eye and see that connection or honey, the view is 
unbelievable. There's nothing else like it. That's why I like this position. And, and those are all wonderful things to know. But let me also say, Deborah, as a licensed counselor, has worked in this area. So she's got a whole section near the front of the book. This is how you talk about sex. This is a good time to bring it up. This is a good time probably not to. These are the things that tend to lead people down dead ends or hurt. These are the things that lead to more understanding. So we recognize it's important that we talk about sex more and then also try to help couples. Well, here's a way to do that in the most fruitful way. That's so good. I'm guessing the, the kids' soccer game is probably not like <laughs> the best time. I would imagine that's probably on the don't do it here list. You know, it, it, it reminds really. me. Um, I don't know. Have you guys ever seen the TV series Friday Night Lights? Yes. Okay. Not the movie, the TV that, yeah. series. It, yeah, it's, okay. it's just, I love it. My wife and I loved it. It's really about a marriage more than it's about Texas football. Although being in Texas, liking football, I don't mind the Texas football part. But there's this <laughs> hilarious scene where he forgot to tell her that everybody comes to the coach's house for one Friday night or something, this potluck. And so she's trying to pull everything together and they're literally fighting under the table. And it's just brilliantly acted and written. And you see a real marriage moment where they're trying to entertain maybe 80 people and having it out under the table. And, and so, yeah, you know what? Maybe, Chris, sometimes the soccer game could be a safe place depending on who's right by because you can at least uh, <laughs> cool off a little bit and cheer cheer your kid on as you're doing it. Yeah. Well, luckily for us, no kid plays soccer right now, so we're we're safe there. <laughs> so, game. We yeah, we got a, we got a football game. We got all <laughs> kinds of stuff going on. So, so I want to take a second and just talk about. It. I mean, I love what you're sharing. Thank you so much for writing this book. I think it is just going to be so powerful and help impact so many people's lives. But I want to talk about some of the, I guess, the deconstruction for those inside of the church who maybe grew up in the church who maybe have heard a certain narrative their entire life, and you guys are trying to rework, reimagine the yeah, idea, the yeah. beauty of sex. And so just speak, because I know there's those listening right now that are like, I had a framework and a family, you know, value system that really did not prepare me for this. So what are some of the, the things that maybe people have heard and some of the things you're speaking to, to help them find a new way and yeah. think of it differently? What we hear most often is that the growing up, the church kept saying, saying no, no, no. <laughs> And Deborah and I said, we want this book to say, well, but here's when you say yes, 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 that we need to be as enthusiastic about our yes to married sex as we are about our no to premarital sex. In fact, I would say, and I just preached this last weekend, that the very thing that makes sex so powerful in marriage is what makes it so dangerous and unwise before marriage. So celebrating it, helping people understand it. And, and I think we're, we're so afraid of lust for some understandable reasons. And, and because we kind of live in a pornified society, we, we want to pull back on our own passion. But I think diminishing passion and desire in marriage is exactly the wrong thing to do to have a clear, pure mind outside of marriage. We've got a chapter called Sacred Simmering. Simmering is a practice by sexual therapists. They talk about it a lot now where they recognize it's difficult to go from ice cold to white hot. And mm -hmm. so the notion of simmering is you give your mind permission. You're, you're ruminating about what you love about your spouse, the desirable parts about your spouse. Maybe you remember your favorite sexual memories. Some women will put on perfume that reminds them of special nights with their spouse. Or some actually said they like to listen to music they listen to while making love and being satisfied. And it, 
it just sort of brings their brain back. And what astonished me, so I'm going through the Song of Songs, and there are two different passages where the wife is just simmering sexually, celebrating all that she loves about her husband. And then there's a long passage where the husband is simmering, thinking erotically and explicitly about all of the parts about his wife's body that he loves. Now, I don't know if there's any connection to this, but the wife looks at her husband from top down. The husband looks at his wife from feet up. So I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to do any psychology there. But so what I'm, what I'm trying to tell guys in this, Chris, is that not only is it not lustful or sinful to think about those parts of your wife's body that really do it for you. It's biblically prescribed. It's encouraged. It's blessed. It's a holy and sacred thing. Be lost in your wife's beauty. Celebrate her. Cherish her. If you're faithful in what you look at online and you have sex with your wife on a regular basis, you're literally training your brain to find your woman to be the most beautiful woman in the world because oxytocin is released when you have sex it literally makes your brain find your wife more attractive and other women less attractive and so that's why i say to wives when he says you're so beautiful and you think stereotypically you don't measure up hey god knew what he was doing when he created marriage if your husband is being faithful and you're having sex with him often he's literally training his brain it's true to him he, he is spellbound by the beauty of your body um, and wives, it also means that for you to think about sex and, and to desire sex and to be pleased sexually, it's not only not sinful for wives to think of their husbands that way, it's recommended. If that's what it takes to get you excited about your husband, go ahead and do it. And so I think it for me, it was the freedom that God recognizes how powerful a role sex can have in marriage. And here is a book that actually demonstrates the need to do that and the joy of doing this, the sacredness of doing that and the pleasure of doing that. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. We'll get back to the show in a minute. But real quick, just wanted to remind you to order a copy or two or three of my parents' new book, The Rhythm of Us, from your favorite retailer. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so you guys did a lot of research in this book, Gary, and you, you you share a lot of stories. What are some of the the common problems that couples face when it comes to this issue? What were some of the common themes that you found um, that you addressed in the book to help them overcome? Yeah, I think one of the most common ones is that couples just let this become mediocre. But there's so many other aspects of life, and there's so many other wonderful parts of marriage. And it's like, it's like infatuation, Jenny, early on in the relationship, when you're infatuated with each other, you're so fascinated where, tell me more, tell me about your past. Tell me, why did you act that way? You think that, oh, I mean, you just, you don't have to work at communication when you're infatuated. You don't have to work at giving each other gifts. You don't have to work at touching. It just comes naturally. And then we know 12 to 18 months, it starts to fade. Suddenly, Oh, okay. We have to rebuild conversation and gift giving and touching without infatuation driving us. The exact same thing happens with sexual chemistry. When it's high and you're just getting to know each other. Now, 
I realize it's different. Sometimes there are real sexual problems when the couple's first becoming sexual. So that's a different situation. But if it's clicking and you desire each other, maybe you're having sex every day for a while or whatnot, but then the sexual chemistry dies down. And so many couples say, well, that's just how it is. And, and I hate, hate, hate that thought. They say, if you put a jar, a penny in a jar for every time you have sex, the first two years of marriage, and then take out a penny for every time you have sex after marriage, the jar will never get empty. That's not a healthy marriage in my view. Uh, and I don't think it's true to life. We've had a lot of therapists tell us that the golden era for marital sexuality is at 20 years, that it takes about that long to really click. So uh, I hope people don't believe it. But for me, it was just letting it become mediocre. And so what we did was trying to help men understand. We have a chapter, What Gets Her Going. Deborah writes that. Wives, here's how, how husbands operate. You need to talk to your husband because every man is different, but here's some clues. And then what gets him going, where I kind of help wives understand, why do guys like this? Why do guys tend to be this way? Why do they want to see you? Why is quantity often a bigger deal for us? All, all of those things. And then a, a, a great chapter, what gets you going, that ultimately, because we have our own brains and our own bodies, we're responsible for our own sexual pleasure. And again, wives often feel guilty about that. And I just tell them, Jenny, that if your husband is at all healthy spiritually, he gets more pleasure out of your pleasure than his pleasure. It, it, it's really true. And the best gift you can give to your husband is learning to receive sexual pleasure. We had husbands who told me they feel like Superman when they can leave their wife satisfied. She's happy. He's happy. His ego needs are met. She's been pleasured and satisfied and both win. So the big picture, Jenny, to answer your question is really just settling for mediocre sex because it was easy when sexual chemistry was high and we let it become boring. And the mm -hmm. challenge is if we learn a few things, if we understand a few things, if we have a few scary but potentially relationship soaring conversations, sex can be a bigger factor in your marriage at year 20 than at day 20. And that's what's exciting. Mm, that's great. I'm going to go get my Superman cape because <laughs> <laughs> I like that analogy. Very, very cool. All right. So. I've heard just a couple of times here and I, and I really love the idea and I hope that those listening have been able to glean this and I, I want to get your thoughts on it and then we'll kind of wrap up with our final question. But you talk about seasons, you know, new married couple, 20 years later in life. I, I think about like our journey, just the beginning of young 20 somethings, trying to figure each other out, bringing our past in and going, okay, God, work what you want to work here, do your thing. And then I look at where we're at now and you're, I think you're exactly right, you know, 17 years in, it's just like, man, I'm, I'm more in love with her now and, and love our lovemaking experience more now than ever. And so I hope that those listening really can understand that wherever you are in a season, that you're able to understand that, embrace that and walk through that. But I imagine, Gary, that's got to be hard for people to, to really process that. And I, I can't imagine what's going to happen for us when we are clinging to 60 and beyond, you know, what that looks like. But can you speak just one more time to the seasons and helping people understand they're listening, uh, what that may look like for them? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the fun thing. And it was a fun thing about writing the book with, with Deborah in a whole different station of life that sort of speaks to this. When she was writing the book, she and John got pregnant. <laughs> she mentions this in the epilogue <laughs> and she credits the book. 
Um, we, 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 look, I'm going to be honest. I don't encourage singles to read this book. I think in premarital counseling, maybe if you're getting close, but there are a lot of stories of couples. I, I hope it's written respectfully and in a way that honors God, but I, I've just heard from too many couples that it revs them up. And so I, I don't want to cause somebody to stumble. So you've got this early thing where John and Deborah are still making babies. And during this time, when Lisa and I were writing it, our oldest daughter almost died. She got an infection. She was in ICU. And all of a sudden, every day we're talking about platelet counts and white blood cell counts and all of these medical terms I didn't even know existed. And after a, a, a few weeks, Lisa mentioned how long it had been since we'd had sex. It'd been a few weeks and we don't usually have many. And I thought, really? And she goes, well, this is the last time. It was before Allie went in. Well, you're right. And so we, we had a great time together, but it was sort of a slow, comforting, where sex just meant, okay, life is back to normal. Our daughter's going to live. She's okay. And it was so meaningful just to connect. We can have sex again without being in a panic. Our minds are free. And so sometimes sex is about making babies. And, and Deborah and I actually did a podcast about when it feels like it's utilitarian. You're just trying to conceive and it can feel like work. Sometimes it's just about consummating the marriage when you're new, newlyweds. Sometimes it's really fun. You really do learn each other a lot better after you're married 20, 25 years or more. And you really get to understand each other and what each other likes. And so just embracing the season that you're in, it's, it's a wonder of marriage and being married to the same person. We have a lifetime to figure this out. I think we should enjoy it while we can. Um, enjoy each other because I've also heard the scary stories of um, a couple and they weren't actually younger than you where he had had an industrial accident and the doctor said, we don't know if you can ever be sexually intimate again. So I think we should embrace and celebrate and make the most of every season that we have, not take it for granted, but recognize that each season has its own meaning, its purpose, its value. And so Lisa and I can look back and it's just uh, a, a lot of fun memories, but but one that that really hits me when when my dad uh, retired, he took our entire extended family out on a cruise. So we were with our kids, and we shared an interior cabin with my two daughters. Or my son was with his cousins. If you guys have ever been on a cruise, you know, wait another year till you can get a balcony, right? Because his interior cabins are small. And it meant our daughters were sleeping, you know, 20 inches above us. They bring bunk beds down at night. <laughs> they were just a little too old for us to pretend they might just be sleeping or wouldn't notice anything or whatnot. And it just wouldn't have been kind to put that in that situation. And then they have key cards. So we can't lock them out, right? That They have oh, the keys man. to get in the room. And it's crazy because a cruise is a romantic vacation. You're taking off from Miami. The sun is setting. They're playing reggae music. Everybody's in beach clothes. And we, we just wanted to act like a married couple one time on this boat. And so it had been an entire week and it hadn't happened. But we were on that one day cruising, going back. Now, my wife's a very healthy, organic, farm to table, local, no gym. I mean, all of the phrases that people use, eater. But there was one restaurant that had a long line. It was called Johnny Rockets. They sell burgers and hot dogs and milkshakes. And we got an idea. So we got in line. I said to the kids, because remember the girls had key cards. Now kids, your mother and father have an errand to run, which, which was true. So I just want to make it clear. You will not leave this line 
until we're back. Like, okay, I, we got it. Fine. Whatever. I go. Now, if you get to the front of line, go ahead and let them sit you down. You can order whatever you want because if you try to find us, you might be coming up this staircase. We're coming down that staircase. I just want to make it clear. You will not leave this restaurant until we're back. And we got it. Fine. I said, okay. Now, if you finish your meal, <laughs> you can order any <laughs> dessert you want. I mean, we didn't want fast food. It'd been a long time. You, you can have a banana split. You can have a float. I said, I will buy you this boat if you just promise me you're going to stay here until we're back. And they did. And it was fun. But I look back at that evening. I, I couldn't tell you what happened back in the cruise room. But I remember that evening. And this is the point I'm trying to make. Lisa and I, surrounded by our kids that we love and adore and like again, because they're not keeping us from being alone together. <laughs> so we, we love them. We're thrilled to be there. We've had a great week, but we can just look at each other. We know. We know what we did. We know nobody else knows. It's just that, I guess I would just say this sacred, delicious marital moment where it's private. It's just the two of you. And what it does for your marriage is so wonderful and it's fun. And we remember it, how hard it was to work. And I say this to couples kind of your age, because there's just something about having three or more kids where I swear they make a pledge. We must never let them have sex again. I, I, I don't know if they're worried about us giving birth to demon spawn or, you know, diluting the will, but they're like, okay, tonight you have a, you have a nightmare tomorrow. You have an earache, invite that insomniac friend to camp out by the master bedroom on Friday night. That's a dangerous night. And I'm just saying, Christian Jenny, we just have to say they're going to lose. Right. God celebrates this. The Bible says it's a powerful thing. We know what it does for relationship. Sometimes we just have to take initiative and say, our relationship needs this. I want my wife to go to bed with a smile on her face. I want my husband to wake up satisfied that he's married to me. Let's just learn to make it happen. Love it. Well, I rip that contract up every time they try and write one. I just, <laughs> no, it's not happening. You can get that out of here. I know all over the house. You can get yeah. that. They're all over the place. We just snip them out and rip them up. All right, Gary, thank you so much for your time. We're going to wrap up with this final question that we ask every single one of our guests. And as you know, we've written this book, The Rhythm of Us. It's pretty awesome to have you here as someone who's so passionate about marriage and God's used in such a big way to help so many. Our, our goal is to help couples thrive in their marriage and their life. And inside of the book, we talk about five rhythms of a healthy marriage. And so what I want to do is I share the rhythms with you and would love to ask you, you know, what's a rhythm do you feel like you're kind of in the zone in or like thriving in? And what's a rhythm that you go, maybe, maybe I could work on this one. So the five rhythms go like this, speaking life, yeah. serving each other, slowing down, staying in awe and seeking adventure. Yeah, I, I think the one that the, the rhythm that we're really working at, because it, I was so poor at this when we first got married, would be serving each other. I, I may have been the most selfish man on the planet when I got married. I got married because I thought of, this is what she's going to bring to my life. I want to be have a wife. I wanted this and that and whatnot. God has so changed my heart over the years that I don't know that I have a greater joy in life than serving my wife. It just makes me so happy when I can do something for her. She'll tell people about her magic gas tank. It's my my goal that you know to, to for, that she never has to fill up a gas tank. She's an organic kind of person. She doesn't like to touch anything in a gas station or smell anything in a gas station. Not a big deal to me um, if I can just do that. She knows if if she says she's going to like something, I'm going to go out of my way to get it, not out of duty or obligation. I literally get so 
much joy serving her that mm-hmm. uh, it's there. Um, I, I think Lisa's would maybe seeking adventure because she travels with me so much more now. We didn't as much when I was uh, had kids at home. She couldn't travel with me that much. Now we're empty nesters and she travels with me most of the time. And, and her goal in life is to keep us out of the hotel room as long as possible. It's like she's allergic <laughs> to hotel rooms. And so, I mean, I could be speaking all day and she's found a farmer's market or a place that we have to go or a, a river walk or things like that. And I appreciate that. I don't always feel like it because a lot of me, especially on Saturday afternoons, if I've spoken all morning, I got to go back. It's thought of laying in a hotel room and catching a college football game doesn't always sound that bad to me. Um, and she gets to do it, but she, but you know what? I have many more memories because she's saying, Hey, we're in this new city. We're in this new town. Let's explore it. And sometimes we even go back as at one time, I wouldn't normally go out in the evening. We were in Nashville. She says, we got to go see Broadway. Those who have been there know exactly what I'm talking about. It's It's amazing. The, the musical (laughs) quality and giftedness. And so one time, you know, now if I'm going to be in Nashville, we'll go out early just to to do that, that Broadway walk. So um, I think for her, it's probably seeking adventure, although that's one of the probably lower ones for me. Oh, that's so great. Thank you for sharing all of that. Guys, we hope you'll go pick up a copy of Married Sex. Um, Gary, tell them where they can find the book, where they can find you, follow you, all that good yeah, stuff. Yeah. Well, the website for the book is marriedsex.us, marriedsex.us. Now I know it's always scary to put those words in a search engine. You can go <laughs> to GaryThomas.com if that feels safer and there'll be links. It's at Christian Book Distributors, Amazon, anybody would have it now. Um, And so by the time people hear this, it will be readily available. Awesome. Gary, thank you so much for all you do for couples just like us. And uh, we're cheering you on, praying for you. And I I know this book's going to serve so many people. Thanks so much for sharing with our audience today. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Rhythm of Us. You can find all the resources and links mentioned in today's episode over at our website, therhythmofus.com. We hope you'll check those out, as well as our new book, The Rhythm of Us, which is available for pre-order now wherever you like to get your books. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thanks again for joining us, friends. Until next time.